Well, if we could, with the Lord's help and the Lord's enabling this evening, if we could turn back to that portion of Scripture that we read, Second Kings, the book of Second Kings and chapter 7. Second Kings chapter 7, and if we read again at verse 3. Now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate, and they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? Why are we sitting here until we die? As we draw to the close of yet another year, in many ways we can hardly believe that it's December already. Uh, Another year is nearly over. 2018 is almost complete. But you know, for some of you here this evening, your soul is still in the same condition it was in this time last year. For some of you here tonight, nothing has changed. You're still as lost as you were this time last year. You're still without Christ. You're still on the broad road. You're still heading towards a lost eternity in hell. And you know, over the past couple of weeks, many, many of you here this evening have been on my heart and on my mind. I've been burdened for you, praying for you, because over the past fortnight, we've had many funerals in our congregation, one after another. And I don't know about you, but every time I'm confronted with death, And every time I have to stand over an open grave, I'm always reminded of the shortness of time and the length of eternity. And you know, my unconverted friend here tonight, I think of you. I have a concern for you. And I realize that you need to repent of your sins and you need to commit your life to Jesus Christ and be saved. And you know, when I was thinking of you and praying for you, I was brought back to this question in 2 Kings chapter 7. Why are we sitting here until we die? Why are we sitting here until we die? And you know, if there was ever a question that we need to ask ourselves, it would be this question. Why are we sitting here until we die? If there was ever a question that we need to take seriously, It would be this question. Why are we sitting here until we die? If there was ever a question from the Bible that we all need to answer, it would be this question. Why are we sitting here until we die? Why are we sitting here still unconverted, still uncommitted, still out of Christ? Why are we sitting here until we die? But you know, I'm sure that I would be be right in saying that The fact that you are sitting here, it indicates at the very least that you have a concern for your soul. It indicates that you know about the shortness of time and you might occasionally think about the length of eternity. Of course, your soul might not be the greatest concern in your list of many concerns that you have. You know it should be, but if you were honest with yourself, you know it's not the case. But why do you sit here if you don't want that change to take place in your life? 
Why do you sit here if you don't really want the Lord in your life? Why do you sit here reading the Bible and and praying here and listening in church? Why do you come to church if you don't want what's being said in church to affect your heart? Why do you sit here if you're sitting here is only to ease your conscience or please a family member until you die? My friend, you know, if these pews could talk, If these pews could speak, they would tell us how long you've been sitting here. If these pews could speak, they would tell us how often you have sat in this place. If these pews could speak, they would tell us how many times you've heard the word of God in your life. If these pews could speak, they would tell us how many sermons you've sat under, how many wakes you sat here listening to, how many funerals you've attended in this place. If these pews could speak, they would tell us about every opportunity you've missed and wasted because you refused to commit your life to Jesus Christ. My friend, if these pews could speak, They would ask you, why are you sitting here until you die? And if there was ever a question that we all need to answer, it's this question. Why are we sitting here until we die? But you know, this question, it was asked in a conversation. A conversation between four lepers who were sitting outside the gate of a city. The city of Samaria. And you could say that this conversation was A crucial conversation. It was a life-changing conversation. And this evening I'd just like us to listen in to, to this crucial conversation. And see what conclusion these lepers came to. And I'd like us to consider this crucial conversation under three simple headings. The context to the conversation. The content of the conversation. And the conclusion to the conversation. The context, the content, and the conclusion to this crucial conversation. So the context, first of all. The context to the conversation. If you look at verse 1 of chapter 7. It says, But Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow about this time a say of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel, and two sayers of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Then the captain on whose hand the king leaned said to the man of God, If the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? But he said, You shall shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. And so in order for us to understand where this crucial conversation came from and why this crucial conversation was even taking place, what we have to understand is the context to this conversation. Because, as you know, context is always important and it helps us to understand what was going on. But even to take the context of the books of Kings, the books of First and Second Kings, are, they are a historical account of the kings of both Israel and Judah, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And First Kings, chapter 1, it begins with the death of King David, that man who was The man after God's own heart. And then we see that David's successor was his son, Solomon. 
And for many years, Solomon, as we know, he he followed in his father's footsteps. He helped to, to build the temple. But Solomon had a problem. We're told in chapter 11 that Solomon loved many foreign wives. And Solomon married many foreign wives. But all these foreign wives, they worshipped foreign gods. And over time, their influence, it had an influence upon the entire nation. Where it caused them to turn away from the Lord. And to turn to these idols. And by the time Solomon died and he leaves, his two son, leaves the kingdom to his two sons. It leads to the division of the nation. The division of the nation into the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. But that division had marked the downward spiral of both kingdoms. Where every succeeding king was worse than the last. And throughout the books of Kings there's this spiritual decline away from the Lord. And they're going further and further away from the Lord. And heading headlong towards the Lord's judgment. But you know what's wonderful about these books is that out of the Lord's grace and mercy and love, the Lord continued to warn his people. The Lord sent prophet after prophet after prophet to warn the people of his coming judgment. And the message that the the prophets preached, it was a simple message, but a solemn message. They kept telling the people, judgment is coming. You need to repent because judgment is coming. You need to turn back to the Lord. And the role of the prophets was that they were to proclaim God's truth. They were to herald God's covenant. They were to challenge anyone who turned away from the Lord and turned to false gods and bowed down to idols. The prophets were to call the people to realize the error of their ways and that they were to repent and turn to the Lord and seek him with all their heart. Their role, the prophets' role, was to call the people to come and commit their lives to the Lord by loving, honoring, worshiping, and serving the Lord. But you know, when you look through the books of Kings, it didn't matter how many prophets the Lord sent. Didn't matter how many times they they spoke to them. Didn't matter how many prophets proclaimed the same message of the Lord. The people weren't listening. They were just ignoring all of the warnings. And the same can be said today. The Lord has sent many preachers to this pulpit and to this community. The Lord has sent Many people down throughout the years. And like the prophets they have proclaimed God's truth. They have heralded God's covenant. They have challenged you as to where you stand in relation to Jesus Christ. They have reminded you again and again and again. That judgment is coming. Life is uncertain. Death is sure. Sin is the cause. Christ is the cure. They have reminded you that you need to repent of your sins. And turn to the Lord. And to seek the Lord while he's to be found. To call upon him while he is near. All these preachers have reminded you that you need to come and commit your life to loving, honoring, worshipping and serving the Lord. And yet, and yet it seems that despite all that is said and all that you're told. And despite the fact that you're pleaded with, you refuse to listen. You ignore the warnings and you're still going headlong towards a lost eternity in hell. Oh my friend, why are we sitting here until we die? 
Why are you letting all these opportunities pass you by? Why are, we, why are you wasting your life chasing the things that will never satisfy? Why are you trying to hold on to these things around you that you know that you'll have to let go one day? And you know, that's what Israel was doing. The context to this chapter was that Israel was continually at war with Syria. And Israel was trying to hold on to the city of Samaria. They were trying to hold on to it because it was a a great fortified city. And yet the Syrians were always trying to take it from them. And in the previous chapter, chapter 6, the Syrians finally succeeded in taking the city of Samaria. And as you would expect, the king of Israel, he wasn't happy. He was angry about it. But what angered the king most wasn't just the Syrian invasion. It was the fact that there was now a famine in the land. Because the famine, it had become so severe that the people were actually cannibals. They were eating one another. And this angered the king. But the truth was the invasion of Syria and the famine in the land was because of God's judgment. And who do people blame when something goes wrong in their life? They blame God. When everything is fine, God doesn't exist. But when things go wrong, God is responsible for all the bad things that happen in our lives. And that's what the king does. He blames God. He blames God for the Syrian invasion. He blames God for the famine in the land. He blames God for the chaos in his own kingdom. And in order to take out his frustration and all his anger upon the Lord, the king wants Elisha, the Lord's prophet. He wants him dead. And he says to his servant, this trouble is from the Lord. And the king, he wants Elisha dead. But Elisha says to the king's servant at the beginning of this chapter, he says, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time, a seah of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Then the captain, the servant on whose hand the king leaned, leaned, said to the man of God, if the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? But he said, you shall see it with your own eyes. But you shall not eat of it. Elisha promised the king's servant that within 24 hours, everything will change. Elisha promised, he promised him good news. There is good news coming because in 24 hours, the famine will be over and the people will eat again. Elisha promised good news. And so that's the context to this crucial conversation. But secondly, let's consider the content of this conversation. The content of the conversation. Look at verse 3. Now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let us enter the city, the famine is in the city and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. So now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. And you know, as those listening in to this crucial conversation, we might be tempted to think, well, their conversation is pretty morbid. Because they're talking about death. And in particular, they're talking about their own death. But as we said, it's a crucial conversation. Uh, And it's crucial because these four men, they were realistic. 
They all knew that there was something wrong with them. They, all, they were all aware that they were dying. Because as lepers, they knew that their lifespan had been shortened and their days were now numbered. But more than that, the famine in the land had increased the likelihood of their death if they didn't act immediately. And so sitting outside the entrance of the city of Samaria, these four lepers, they began this crucial conversation about their future. And they're sitting there asking themselves the question that we all need to ask ourselves. Why are we sitting here until we die? And you know, my friend, thinking about it, these lepers were aware that time was passing. And they were aware that life is short. They knew that every day was a day less of life and a day closer to death. And as every day passed, they knew that their leprosy was taking over their bodies. They knew that things weren't going to get any better. They were only going to get worse. They knew that their illness was slowly taking over and bringing with it new weaknesses, greater tiredness, more frailties, more acute pains. Their bodies were decaying and fading because of the disease that possessed them. And each of these four lepers knew that their disease would eventually take over and then take their life. And so it's no wonder they're sitting there asking each other, why are we sitting here until we die? Why are we sitting here discussing this until we die? But you know, when you apply it to ourselves, we see that the Bible often likens the disease of leprosy to the disease of our sin. Because sin has taken over our heart, our mind, and our body. And our sin is infecting and affecting every area of our lives. And we're all aware of sin. We are aware of what sin does. We're aware that this is a hereditary disease that has been passed down to us from generation to generation. We all know that we were conceived in guiltiness and sin. We all know that we were born in sin. But as time has gone by, and as the days have rolled on, rolled on into years, and the years have gathered together into decades, do you know the physical effects of sin? Maybe they're becoming more and more apparent in your life. Because... When we look at ourselves, those grey hairs have increased in number. For some people, their hair has already died. It's already fallen away. Those wrinkles are spreading further. The eyesight, it isn't as perceptive as it once used to be. The hearing isn't as sharp as it used to be. The body isn't as strong and as, as fit as it had been in the past. And with every passing year... It brings with it new weaknesses, greater tiredness, more frailties, more pains. And each and every one of these things are evidences that this disease of sin is taking over. And we're all moving closer and closer and closer to the grave. And you know, every time we're sitting here, we're being reminded the truth of Scripture the wages of sin is death. And maybe for you tonight, my friend, maybe you've been denying the obvious. 
Maybe you've been putting off the inevitable. But like these lepers, when you consider yourself, when you think about yourself, you start to realize that what the Bible is saying is actually true. Because the Bible is telling you, you're dying. You're dying. And you know, there's no getting away from it. We can put it off as much as we like. We can fill our lives and our minds and our thoughts with as many distractions as we can find around us. But that doesn't change the fact that this disease of sin, it is slowly taking over our life. And one day soon, it will take it. My friend, we are all in the waiting room for eternity. We just don't know who is next in the queue. We are all in the waiting room to see who will be called next into the great eternity. But why are we sitting here until we die? Why are we sitting in church letting our life just waste away to a lost eternity? Why are we sitting here doing nothing about our eternal well-being when we have the opportunity to receive the promise of eternal life? Why are we sitting here until we die? But you know, as this crucial conversation between these four lepers, as it, as it progressed, as they continued talking to one another, they realized that, and they came to the conclusion that if they stay where they are, they will certainly die. But if they went into the city, there was the possibility that they might die. They weren't sure if it would happen. They didn't have a clue what would happen when they went into the city. But they, what they were sure of was that if they stayed where they are, they would certainly die. And in their mind, it was better for them to make a move now and commit themselves than to sit and wait until they die. Because to sit and wait, to sit and wait would be fatal. And you know, there are so many people, and I've said it many a time, there are so many people who have this fatalistic view of salvation. And they excuse themselves from committing their life to the Lord and becoming a Christian because, well, they just say, if I'm going to be saved, I will be saved and there's nothing I can do about it. They hide behind the doctrine of election. If I'm in the elect, if God has elected me from all eternity, I'll be saved. And you know, sad to say, those who think like that, and those who sit and stay where they are and do nothing until they die, when they die, they go to hell. When they die, they go to hell. And they go to hell because the Bible says, or the Bible never says, sit and stay where you are. The Bible never says, sit there until you die. No, my friend, the Bible, this wonderful book, it is God's invitation to you to come. Jesus says to you in the gospel, Come to me, and I will give you rest. Jesus says to you in the gospel, Whosoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. And so I want to ask you tonight, if Jesus is calling you to come to him for eternal life, 
Why are you sitting here until you die? This is a crucial conversation that, that we all must have. And so far we've considered the context to this conversation and the content of this conversation. But lastly, let's consider the conclusion to this conversation. The conclusion to the conversation. Look at verse 5. It says, So they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and of horses, the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. So they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses, their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was, and fled for their lives. And you know, after this con- crucial conversation about death and, and the inevitability of their own death, these four lepers, they concluded it was better for them to make this commitment and go into the city than to die without crying. They thought it was better to make a move and to do something about it than to die without crying. And so as we read in verse 5, they arose at twilight and made their way into the city. As the sun was going down and as darkness was falling over the land, these four lepers, they rose out of their seats and they committed themselves to going forward into the city of Samaria. They weren't completely sure of what it would be like when they entered the city. But what they were sure of was that they couldn't stay where they were and just die. And you know, isn't it interesting that they waited until twilight to go into the city? They waited until the darkness began to fall so that they could keep their identity hidden. They didn't want anyone to find out who they were. They didn't want anyone to know of the disease that they had. And they certainly didn't want anyone to know that they were making steps to ensure that they would receive life. And you know, thinking about it, that's often the case when we're seeking the Lord. We're not completely sure of what it will be like to be a Christian. We don't really know how we will feel or or what to expect or what will happen. But what we do know, what we do know is that we can't stay where we are. Because if we stay where we are and die in our condition, it will be awful. And so the only option for us is to make a move, to make a commitment, to come earnestly seeking the Lord. And maybe like these lepers, making a commitment and seeking the Lord in doing these things, you don't want anyone to know. You don't want anyone to know what's going on in your heart. You just want to come in the twilight. You want to come to the Lord under the cover of darkness, just like Nicodemus came. He came in the shadow of the night to speak to Jesus. And you know, my friend, when we're seeking the Lord, it can be so personal. It can be so private. Because it's just between you and the Lord. There's nobody else involved. It's just between you and the Lord. And you don't want anyone else to know what's going on in your heart. Not even those closest to you. But like these lepers, when you rise out of your seat, this seat that you've been dying in for so many years, when you rise out of your seat, 
And when you make that commitment to the Lord, to actively and openly seeking him, you know then that there's no going back. There's no going back. And in some way, like these lepers, you may be apprehensive of what the future may hold if you commit your life to the Lord. You might be scared. You might wonder what other people will say. Or afraid of what they'll think of you if you become a Christian. But the truth is, my friend, that doesn't really matter. Because you know that you cannot stay where you are. Because if you stay where you are and you die in your lost condition, it will be awful. But you know what's so beautiful about this passage? Is that when these lepers made the commitment to go into the city, it wasn't at all what they expected. They were apprehensive, they were scared, they were afraid of what would happen, but that's not what they were met with when they came into the city. Because when they entered the city, they were met with good news. They were met with good news. That's what they say in verse 9. They said to one another, we are not doing right. That's when they're talking about all they've received. This day is a day of good news. Because the Syrians had fled. And when they went into the city, they found an abundance of food and clothing and drink and gold and silver. They found an abundance, treasures in abundance. And is that not the promise of the gospel? That's the good news of Jesus Christ. That when you rise out of your seat of death. And when you come committing yourself to Jesus. He promises to do in you and for you. Exceedingly, abundantly, above all. More than you could ask or even think. When you rise out of your seat of death. And you flee to Christ. He promises to give you an inheritance. That is incorruptible undefiled that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you when you rise out of your seat of death Jesus promises you eternal life but my friend to stay where you are to stay where you are would be fatal it wouldn't be life. It would be death. Because you know the Bible. It not only reminds us about the reality of physical death. It also reminds us about the horrors of eternal death. Eternal death in hell. And you know during his life and ministry. Jesus spoke more times about hell than he did about heaven. He knew the seriousness of telling people the truth. The truth that hell is a place of unending pain and un unstopping torment. Jesus knew the truth that hell is the place where you can't die. You're dying but never dead. It's eternal sorrow. And Jesus wants us to know the truth about hell so that we will flee to him for salvation. He wants us to know that hell is the place where the fire is not quenched, where there is wailing and grinding of teeth because of the severity of, it, of the pain. Hell is the place of outer darkness. The place of eternal separation. Where you have separation from life. Separation from blessing. Separation from family. Separation from friends. Hell is the place of eternal death. And you know when we hear Jesus talking about hell. 
We have to see that Jesus speaks like this because he wants us to know the truth. He gives to us this loving warning. And Jesus warns us because he loves us and he doesn't want us to go to hell. He wants us to rise out of our seat of death and flee to him for salvation. Jesus doesn't want us to go to hell. I don't want you to go to hell. I want you to be saved. But you know, you have to cry out to Jesus for mercy. You have to come on bended knee and earnestly seek him with all your heart. You have to wholeheartedly commit your life to Jesus Christ and confess that he is your Lord. You have to live your life for him and for his glory. Not for self, but for him. And you have to do it before you're too late. You have to do it before you're too late. Because sitting and dying in your sin, my friend, it's not an option. Sitting and dying without Christ is not what I want for you. And I don't think it's what you want for yourself. I don't think this is what you want for yourself. I don't think you want to sit and die without Christ in a lost condition. Especially after hearing so much throughout your life. I don't think you want this for yourself. But my friend, you need to rise out of your seat of death. And you need to flee to Christ for salvation. Oh my friend, don't sit here until you die. Don't wait until a more convenient time in your life. Don't even wait until the morning to come to Christ. You seek him now. You ask him now. You come now. You rise out of that seat of death that you've been in all your life. And you come to Christ for salvation. Because now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Oh my friend. Be in time. Be in time. That was always the plea of the 19th century preacher Charles Mason. He knew that when Jesus passed by in the gospel. Sinners needed to cry out to Jesus for mercy. And Charles Mason, he wrote this wonderful hymn about the shortness of time and the length of eternity. And I've told it to you before, even recently, but it keeps going round in my head. Because it sums up the need for us to have this crucial conversation. And ask the question, why are we sitting here until we die? Charles Mason, he says, life at best is very brief. Like the falling of a leaf. Like the binding of a sheaf, be in time, be in time. Fleeting days are telling fast that the die will soon be cast and the fatal line be passed. Be in time, be in time. If in sin you longer wait, you may find no open gate and your cry be just too late. Be in time, be in time. He says, fairest flowers soon decay. Youth and beauty pass away. Oh, you have not long to stay. Be in time, be in time. While God's spirit bids you come. Sinner, do not longer roam. Lest you seal your hopeless doom. Be in time, be in time. 
Time is gliding swiftly by. Death and judgment draweth nigh. To the arms of Jesus fly. Be in time. Be in time. Oh, I pray you count the cost, he says, ere the fatal line be crossed and your soul in hell be lost. Be in time. Be in time. Sinner, heed the warning voice. Make the Lord your final choice. Then all heaven will rejoice. Be in time. Be in time. Come from darkness into light. Come, let Jesus make you right. Come, receive his life tonight. Be in time. Be in time. Oh, my friend, make sure that you come in time. Because why are we sitting here? Until we die. May the Lord bless these thoughts to us. Let us pray. O Lord our gracious God. We give thanks to thee that. Thou art a God who speaks. A God who speaks through his creation. A God who speaks through his word. And a God who speaks to us in providence. And Lord we pray that we would listen. We would listen to everything that the Lord is saying to us. That we would be reminded that the Lord a God who calls us. Calls us to come. And Lord we pray that none of us would sit here out of Christ until we die. Or that we would all be found on the shores of eternity. Looking to Jesus. Beholding the Lamb of God. Who takes away the sin of the world. Lord, bless thy truth to our souls. Apply it, O Lord, we plead by thy spirit that it would bring life, that it would bring those who are in darkness into the marvellous light of the gospel. Lord, hear us, we plead. Answer us in accordance with thy will, not because we deserve it, but, Lord, solely because thou art gracious. Go before us, we ask, into the week that lies ahead. Oh, it's a week that is unknown to us. But we give thanks that thou art one who knows it all. Keep us in the hollow of thine own hand. And keep us on mercy's ground until we find thee. For we ask it in Jesus' name. And for his sake. Amen. We shall bring our service to a conclusion by singing the words of Psalm 25. Psalm 25. The first version of the psalm. It's on page 231. Psalm 25, show me thy ways, O Lord, thy paths, O teach thou me, and do thou lead me in thy truth, therein my teacher be. For thou art God that does, to me salvation send, and I upon thee all the day, expecting, do attend. So Psalm 25 from verse 4 down to the verse mark 7, and we'll stand to sing to God's praise.
Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore. Amen.